I was, uh, my dad was in the Navy for 22 years, joined before the Second World War, went through the war, had four ships sunk under him, four aircraft carriers, and then the war was over, and he retired when I was six years old in 1960. And so by the time he retired, we had moved 23 times because mom insisted in following the ship wherever it came into port. We were there to wait, meet it. We had a, a Plymouth station wagon and uh, back seat faced backwards. If you remember, those of you old enough, remember those cars. I sat in the back seat and mom would uh, get me a whole box full of books and I would read while we were driving in the back seat facing backwards the whole time. That's why I don't get motion sickness now. I can go fish in the worst place and never get seasick a bit because I grew up riding in the back seat of a Plymouth station wagon uh, facing backwards reading the whole time and so I don't get car sick on the worst ride. I remember one time the kids, when our kids were home and we went on a, a, a bunch of other boys too, I think there was about 18 boys, we went on a, uh, to a Six Flags place that had all kinds of roller coasters and I said, let's have a contest. We'll just ride roller coaster after roller coaster after roller coaster, see who gets sick first and who gets sick last. And I, I mean, I just stomped them. They were all sick after about three rides. And uh, so anyway, the moving around, one of the things that I planned on the first day of school was getting in a fight. And the reason I planned on it, because I always got on a fight the first day of school. Navy housing was rough, plus somebody would make fun of my name. Call me Dee Dee, and so then the fight was on. And so mom planned on me getting in a fight because she would always dress me in a T-shirt or a sweater, no buttons. Because, you know, when little kids fight, they just roll around and rip each other's buttons off. And uh, so I, I was always fighting when I was a kid growing up. That was just the, the normal. Uh, first day of school, I got in a fight. I probably got in six or seven fights. And, uh, and then the Navy housing, it was a big area, and right in the middle there would be a playground. There'd be houses everywhere, sometimes Quonset huts, sometimes two-story apartment buildings, and there'd be this playground. And I remember when we were little, we went there, and there was these brothers, they were twins, and their name was Johnny and Jimmy. And they pushed Cliff off the monkey bars, and so we came back to the house, and Cliff was crying, and, and uh, Dad said, what happened? And Johnny and Jimmy pushed him off the monkey bars. And, and uh, Daddy's, uh, Dad said, well, why did you let them do that? And they, well, they were bigger than Cliff. And he said, not bigger than all three of you. It was myself and Cliff and Matt. I was three older boys. And then there was my sister and my youngest brother. And, uh, he, and then just us three. And so when Dad said that, then we marched back to the playground and we just cleaned their clock. Johnny and Jimmy, now I don't think they ever came back to the playground again. And so uh, the Duke boys were sort of the terror of the playground and the schoolyard. We were always together and, uh, and getting in fights pretty regularly. And, uh, and so when I now, as 75 years old, I think back on my life in the sense of the good things, the bad things, the things that were plus things, I would say that those years of growing up, moving all the time, fighting all the time, were good years. The, uh, you know, they actually were a plus in my life in the sense of who I am today. And uh, it was sort of like, you know, God just made me to fight. I liked fighting. I liked fighting, especially when I win. And I always won when I had my brothers with me. And so we could beat anybody, even, even the high school kids. We could whip them too. And uh, we got good at fighting together. And, uh, but we would fight pretty regularly. 
and so we had moved to a new school and it took a couple of days before he kind of got uh, the pecking order established, you know, who were the tough dudes and who were the wimps. And, uh, and so we had to get our, our licks in early to establish who we were and uh, what our position was in the school in those early days. So one of the things that some people believe is that the devil was an oops that God had these noble plans as far as the Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and all the good stuff. And then this, ah, man, the devil just messed everything up. And I don't, I don't believe that. There's some writers that write about Satan and demons that will write that, uh, that way, that, okay, God had to make some adjustments now. The devil is doing exactly what God created him to do. Demons are doing exactly what God created them to do. Now, the whole plan, as we've, you've heard me say before, is to grow us into the image of Christ so that we can live with him and, uh, and we can enjoy him and he can enjoy us because we're the same. We have the same character. That's his goal with life is growing us into the image of Jesus, transforming us to one degree of glory to another. And God has done everything to make it a growing experience in life. Now, we have to cooperate with the process. That's why a lot of people are going to enter heaven as babies in character because they haven't cooperated with the process. God gave us free will, and so part of that free will is choosing, and part of that choosing is we're going to sin, and so he has solutions for all of that, but we still have to choose. We still have to follow, and so some will grow, some won't. In your notes, number one, as sons and daughters of God, we have an adversary Satan and his demons. We have an adversary, somebody who is trying to destroy us, an enemy. I've been reading and watching little video clips about what's happening over in Israel. And it's always kind of fun to read about these tunnels that Hamas has got and how extensive they are. And because they had that in Vietnam. And uh, the friends I had that were over there, that was one of the issues, was these tunnels and how you defend against it and how you can battle against it. So they're dealing with these tunnels. And I, I was thinking the other day, I wonder what a person would feel like if I would feel like I got my gun and I got my, my helmet and my everything, I'm, and I start walking into one of those tunnels. Uh, that's going to kind of make you nervous, wouldn't you think? And so because... The minute you walk into it, it's sort of their territory, their advantage. And one of the things it would produce in you is an attitude of alertness. And uh, you'd be paying attention. So in this life, we are in a similar situation. Now, if you're on a football team, today is the day for NFL, Friday for high school, Saturday for college. Once a week, it rolls around where you have your battle. Fighters, professional boxers, maybe twice a year. Uh, and then, you know, you have a whole summer off or wherever it is. It's an intermittent kind of a thing. But for us, it's a 24-7 deal. We are in a battle, a serious battle, uh, all of the time. And the biggest problem that we have is that we're not uh, attentive. We're not paying attention. We forget that we're in a battle. Uh, we tend to think sometimes we're in heaven. We're not. Job 16, 9, his anger has torn me and hunted me, hunted me down. He has gnashed at me with his teeth. My adversary, my adversary glares at me. Psalm 60, verse 11, oh, give us help against the adversary. 
For deliverance by man is in vain. Through God we shall do valiantly, and it is he who will tread down our adversaries. 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And so I'm, uh, one of my uh, things I aspire to is to be like uh, Dr. Bain. And so one of the things he does is he uses lots of video clips. And so I've been thinking about what video clips I'm going to use for next week. One of them is I'm going to get one of lions uh, attacking water buffalo and taking them down. And there's one video clip where they have one all by himself and the whole herd comes over and stomps those lions, just pow, throws them in the air and stomps on them and just runs them off. Uh, one guy by himself, one buffalo, they had six lions on him, take, and then the whole herd comes over and gets them. And, uh, and so the, it says he's looking, seeking someone to devour. And so there's certain characteristics that you have that will put a red flag up. Here I am, come eat me, uh, that will make you one that he will go after. And uh, the, probably one of the major ones is that you think that you're good by yourself. And so none of us will ha have a chance against the devil by ourselves on our own. The thing we need to learn is the church is victorious over the kingdom of darkness. Number two, the devil does not have the attributes of God. He is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. Now, I don't know what he has for travel. If he has a Harley-Davidson motorcycle or if he flies, I don't know how fast he can move, so I don't know that. But I do know that he is a created being, finite. He can only be at one place at one time. Uh, uh, it's amazing how sometimes I'll say this next statement and people Really, the devil can't read your mind. Really, I can't read your mind, so why do you think the devil can read your mind? Well, he's supernatural. Yeah, he's supernatural in that he can do things that we can't do, invisible, but he's still finite. One place, one time, uh, and he has no clue what I'm thinking, or you. Now, he's good at it, reading. You know, my wife knows what I'm thinking. <laughs> She can't read my thoughts. She just knows me, facial expression, various things that go along with it. And so she makes a very intelligent guess. And so they've been at it for a while, so they can make some great guesses. But the devil is not God. He doesn't have any of the attributes of God. Uh, he is just a being, a defeated being. Number three, very few people have ever probably been tempted by the devil, but by his demons that are assigned to us. So... One of the things that I'm going to do as I teach this lesson is I'm going to make uh, what I would call intelligent guesses. There's some things that I don't know because nothing in the Bible says. It's just from everything that's there as you read all the passages, you can make some intelligent guesses. So I'm guessing that uh, there's a demon or two or three or four assigned to me. That's all they mess with is me. Nothing else, just me. You do as well. Uh, you have some demons assigned to you. So how many do you have? Well, my guess is, is that if you don't do anything, you only have a couple of wimpy ones. 
But if you start doing something that's messing with his kingdom, then he's going to assign more and bigger. And so if you'd like to have an easy time of it, then don't do anything. Uh, just be a lazy person. Don't do anything that's going to mess with the kingdom of darkness, and he won't worry about you. But you start messing with his kingdom, uh, and then he is going to start messing with you. But we don't have to worry about that because he is... We're going to talk next week how to stomp Satan under our feet. And it's not that difficult if we know how. Uh, four, the size, power, number of demons will probably be determined by who, and, uh, who we are and what we do. Who we are, what we do. I've told this story thousands of times, but I'll tell it again because I like it and it illustrates the point. When I was a kid, uh, we were in 4-H and so we had our project. My project was a dairy cow. And, uh, and so when the fair came, the county fair, we would take our projects to the fair. We had our club and we would live at the fairground, they had a dormitory for all the people that were at the fair. So we had a section of the dorm that we slept in. Our, our club, they had the, bi, go, the boys' dorm and the girls' dorm. And then we had to do herdsmanship. That is, we had to be in there where the cows were and clean up the cow manure and keep everything pretty and clean. Because we got an award as a team, as a club, for how uh, everything looked. And then we would show our cows. They were scheduled to show. But the total of what we had to do was very small. We had a lot of free time. Now we're at a fairground. What do you do at a fairground? You go on rides. But rides cost money. So what we would do is we'd hang out at the dumpster. And the guys that take the tickets would go dump their little thing in the dumpster. And so we would have one guy that would, we'd have to into the dumpster and they would go through the tickets. And about every one out of five tickets wasn't torn in half. They didn't they just put it in hole. So he would get the tickets out of the dumpster. His name was Clinton Brown, and he was the tallest, so he was able to get in the dumpster with a little help from us. And he'd go in, and he'd come out with a couple hundred tickets. And so there were five of us that kind of hung out together, and we'd split the tickets up, and we could ride to our heart's content. Now, my favorite place to go was the spook house. And it was this thing built out of plywood. And you walk in, and it's dark, and you go in, and then there's a, you can go right, you can go left, you can go straight. If you go left, it, about 10 feet, it, 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 there's nothing. There's a dead end. So you come back and you go right, well, it dead ends. So you come back, you go this one. Well, that one keeps going. And so you have all these various tunnels, and then you have these air-compressed air that'll blow on you and these floor that'll tip when you walk on it. And then there's one place where it's a fairly large room, and there's about six uh, ways out of that, but only one of them works. But, and so you're kind of staggering around, and they're trying to find these places. Well, we would go to the poultry barn and get a... A, a peacock feather or a, another big long feather and uh, there, we would go sit down in the middle of this room and it was probably oh as big across as the stage in circumference we would sit down in the middle and we would our eyes would get used to the dark and our target was a guy holding on a girl's hand those were our favorite they'd come walking in he's the macho dude hanging on her hand and they would come by us and we would reach out with a feather and tickle her offhand, the one she wasn't holding him with, tickled the palm of her hand with that feather. And you know how many times she would just, and she'd end up hitting the guy? 
Oh, wow, it was so cool. And then, or we would tickle the back of her leg right, right behind her knee, just tickle her with that feather. And she'd scream, let out a blood curdling scream. Uh, I mean, it was so cool. <laughs> what was the advantage we had? They couldn't see us. They couldn't see us. So we didn't have any other advantage. And when we're just talking about a feather, and it startles and creates confusion and fear and chaos. And we could get a boy and a, a, a boyfriend, girlfriend yelling at each other pretty easy just with that little feather. Just in the right spot, you tickle them on the back of the knee or the palm of the hand. And uh, it was just uh, easy to create chaos because they couldn't see us. Now, some of them would go out and tell the guy and that he'd come in with a flashlight and run us out. And so a couple hours later, we would do it again. And uh, we had so much fun. So sometimes we think the devil has got these powers that he can go and just turn us into a frog. We've been watching too many spook movies. He can't do anything except talk to us. Now, he gains authority in our life as we do what he tells us to do. Uh, his voice gets louder. His influence with us gets uh, more uh, stronger as we begin following his lead. But uh, there's no supernatural power to turn us into a frog or to limit what we can do or to give us a headache. Or uh, They're just beings that are invisible. And because they're invisible, we can't see them. And they walk around, follow us, and talk to us all the time. Um, five, God's plan is that we would battle, war, fight, and resist these demons all of our life. Why? Why would God do that? Well, because he doesn't want you entering heaven as a baby. He wants you entering heaven as somebody that's strong. Spiritually, somebody that's like him, Jesus, so we can enjoy him. He can enjoy us. And he knows that nothing will develop our character like fighting against an adversary will. And so he's created an adversary for us. Now, obviously, there's some risk involved in that. Uh, what is intended by God to make us strong can also make us weak. What can create, uh, God intends to make us like himself can make us uh, the total opposite, depending on how we respond. Ephesians 6 is the classic passage. Now, a couple of things about this passage. The book of Ephesians is written to the church. Every pronoun in the book of Ephesians is plural. Now, because Greek pronouns are obviously singular or plural, English or not, we sometimes forget that we, as we read that this is not written to me, it's written to the church. Application of these passages in Ephesians needs to be application to the church, not the individual. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. And we're going to talk about that in detail next week. Put on the full armor of God is not an event like brushing your teeth. I hear people talk, well, yeah, this morning I'm putting on the armor of God. Putting on the armor of God is a process, not an event. And it's something that the church does together. 
And I will just say it this way. The armor of God, the process of putting on the seven pieces of armor are basic spiritual disciplines that we are involved in all the time. And if we are involved in these spiritual disciplines all the time as a church, the devil has zero chance with us. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other people, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. That's here all around us. This air that we're breathing. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. So that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. The evil day, that's the day that he decides to jump on you. The evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm. Three times in this passage it says stand firm, stand firm. That means you're not running around like a chicken. You're standing firm, you're advancing. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth. I watched a little video clip. I'm looking for video clips to show in this class. And there was this one of a football game in this uh, offensive player. I must have caught him on, by surprise, but he pushes the defensive player and pushes, and he falls right over on his butt. And they caught it on video. I thought, that dude is embarrassed. So I'll ask you this question. Did he stand firm? Nope. He fell over on his butt. Uh, so the devil's going to try to get you to fall over, to wobble, to be inconsistent. And the admonition, stand firm, stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, flaming arrows of the evil one, those little spots that he's going to put in your head as he talks to you. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God, that's the Bible. What do you do with the Bible? You read it. When? Every day, every day, every day. Study it. You memorize it. With all prayer. You know what prayer is? It's a spiritual discipline. Pray at all times. Now, that doesn't mean 24-7. It means a lot. Pray a lot. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. That's you all. See, this is written to the church. So we, the church, are faithfully practicing the basic disciplines of the Christian life. We're reading the Bible. We're memorizing the Bible. We're being taught it in, in services and in classes. And we're memorizing it and we're meditating on it. We're getting together and we're praying. We're having five-day prayer events and other prayer events. And then we'll talk about what those others are as well as we become individuals that are able to resist and stand firm and to conquer. Six, we are at war. That war will not end until the final judgment of Satan and his demons. Every day, every day, every day, every day. You know, when I was in high school, I graduated in 1967. What was happening in 1967? Vietnam War was in full swing. My friends were going to Vietnam. We were watching video um, news things on Vietnam, what was happening in Vietnam. And so 
I said, I want to go to Vietnam and shoot some people. No, I didn't. I didn't want to go to college. I didn't like school. I didn't particularly, I mean, I did all right in school. I tell people I was the salutatorian, co-salutatorian of my class because there was only three that graduated. There was a valedictorian and us two co-salutatorians. He'd say, you, co you must have good grades. Well, I think I had a C average. <laughs> co-salutatorian was C average. That's just the way it was in our school. You know, there were three that graduated in my senior class, and so we had valedictorian, salutatorian, and co-salutatorian. And so I don't tell people that graduated co-salutatorian. I must have been pretty smart. I didn't want to go to college because I wanted to milk. That's what I was going to do. But if I didn't, they had back then uh, a 2S deferment. And deferments for various things. 2S deferment meant you were in college. When you were in college, you didn't get drafted. If you weren't in college, you got drafted. All right, do I want to go to Vietnam or do I want to go to college? I think I'll go to college. So I went to college. Do you know what happened in 1969? December of 69? Uh, compliments of President Nixon. They came out with the lottery system. They decided that the deferments were too much politics involved in that. Some guys were not going to Vietnam simply because daddy had a bunch of money or something. I don't know, but they decided to put everybody's birthday in a ping pong ball and they pulled you out. If you were in the first hundred, you were going. College or no college. New baby or no, it didn't make any difference. First hundred, you were going. And so I went up to the, we lived off campus. We'd only been married for a month. And I went up to the boys dorm because we didn't have a television to watch the lottery. And I didn't get home until after midnight. Do you know why? I was the second to last ping pong ball pulled out. And so it took a long time to get to 364. Do you know what I did that night? I quit college. In fact, I, on the way home, we had a little Volkswagen, I think about a 1951 Volkswagen. And I went and rented a U-Haul trailer. It's twice as big as the car. I pulled up in front of our little apartment. I packed everything we owned in the little trailer. And then I woke up Patty about 2 in the morning. She says, what are you doing? I said, we're going home. We can't go home. We got, a, we got a, our house. I'll call them tomorrow. We got school. I'll call them tomorrow. We got our jobs. I'll call them tomorrow. Come on, get in the car. So we went home. Why? Because I didn't need to go to college to stay out of Vietnam. Now, I wasn't going. Why? Because I didn't like the idea of getting over there, going over there and having somebody shoot at me. I'd much prefer being home, milking cows and sleeping in my own bed. That was so much nicer. So, all of you who would like to volunteer to fight the devil, you can see me afterwards. You're in. You're in. Whether you want to be in or not, you're in. And he is after you. And he wants to mess your life up. He wants to make your life miserable. He really wants you to sin. He wants to get you to sin so that you dishonor God. He will do everything in his power to get you to do that. And he will not let up. Sundays, Saturdays, Mondays, it doesn't matter. 24-7, he's going to be working on you, or his demons are anyway, to get you to sin uh, number seven, I think, uh, seven, yeah, we are all involved in this warfare, whether we like it or not, whether we are aware of it or not. Now, the biggest advantage the devil has over us is that we are naive. We can't see him, so we forget all about him, and we think life is a picnic. 
We are in this war, this spiritual war, every day, every day, every day. And the less we are aware of it, the more we will fail. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 1 Timothy 1.18, this I command, I command, I command. This is a command. I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. 2 Corinthians 10.4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, our warfare. Number eight, the biggest advantage the demons have over us is that we can't see them, so we become complacent in our fighting. <clears throat> I've said this before, but if we could see demons and one's walking down the aisle with his, his pitchfork and his, his red suit and his pointy ears and and his long tail that looks like a spear on the end, if he comes walking down towards me and he starts talking to me to tempt me, is that going to work? I can see him. I know where that information is coming from. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. But we don't see him. And they talk to us all the time, all the time, all the time. The goal is to get us to sin. Number nine, the reason the Father wants us to be in conflict with the kingdom of darkness is so that we will become strong, mature, perfect in character. It has been his plan from the beginning. Judges chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel. The nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war. The generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war. So was it God's will that the nation of Israel be in warfare almost constantly it was and in fact he made sure it happened so that they were taught war these nations are the five lords of the philistines the canaanites the Sidians, and the hivites who live in mount uh, lebanon from mount baal hermon as far as lebo hamath they were for testing israel for testing israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the lord which he had commanded their fathers through moses and so God planned for war to be part of their life. And it's part of ours. Number 10, just like football and war, there are strategies and plans that we follow in order to win. There are strategies and schemes that the devil and his demons are using to win. So I watch Monday Night Football almost every night, and we're up there uh, in the upstairs room over in the D.C. building with a big old screen, Monday Night Football, and we're all sitting around. Guys are making comments about this play, that play, what kind of front, how many uh, uh, you know, strategies, and how many guys going out for passes, and then the, the, the commentators make comments about the coach's play calling. That was a dumb play. I wonder why he called that stupid play. And so play calling is part of the whole football strategy. And then the defense, the defense tries to read that and operate accordingly. And so there are all these strategies and 
ways of trying to win the game with those strategies. Same thing with war. If you read about war, the, especially Second World War, some of the uh, wars that were fought in the desert, uh, and uh, th those who did well, they were strategists. Uh, and they would think and plan in order to have an advantage. And on the other side, trying to figure out what the enemy was doing. My dad was in the Second World War, as I said. Four ships sunk under him. He was in the Battle of Midway. And if you watch the movie Midway, of all the strategies that were taking place about who was where and what needed to happen, that's the same thing with warring spiritually. The devil has strategies and plans, and they're usually unique to each of us in the sense of who we are what we're good at, what our problems are. Number 11, many believers are ignorant of the schemes of the evil one, and we don't do a very good job resisting. We sin a lot. We fail a lot. We don't bear much fruit. We dishonor God with our life because the devil's able to have his way with us because we are so stupid in regards to what he is doing and what we ought to be doing in order to keep his, him from succeeding. 2 Corinthians 11:3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, deceived Eve by his craftiness, his craftiness, your minds will be led astray in the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. He is crafty. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to... Uh, get us to fall and Paul says I'm afraid that in the same way that Satan succeeded with Eve he's succeeding with you 2 Corinthians 2.10 but one whom you forgive anything I forgive also for indeed what I have forgiven I have uh, if I have forgiven anything I did it for your sake in the presence of Christ so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan for we are not ignorant of his schemes the we. You ever heard that uh, term uh, we? Doesn't really mean you, it means me. Uh, when you write, sometimes you write with a plural and you'll say we. Paul writes we. He's not talking about the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth were stupid, they were sinning a bunch, they had all kinds of problems. In fact, they were sinning so bad that God was killing some of them. They were sinning so bad that God was making some of them sick. They were experiencing all kinds of discipline from God because they were sinning so much. But Paul says, we are not ignorant of his schemes. Paul wasn't. They were. That's why Paul said, I'm afraid that he has led you astray. He has pulled you away from God. We are not ignorant of his schemes. So, question is, are you? Are you ignorant of the schemes that he uses in your life? Number 12, we need to learn as much as we can about the rules of war, the battle plans, and nature of our enemy, the resources at our disposal, and the best tactics for employing them. So, one of the things about football is that there are guys with striped suits running around out there on the field with yellow flags, and they pull them out and throw them if you don't follow the rules. Now, did you know that there are rules uh, that apply in our war with the devil? He has to follow them, and so do we. Here's a rule. If he lies to you and you believe the lie and act in accordance with the lie, 
he was able to communicate that to you with what we might say the volume of two. Now that you listened to that and did it, now the rule is he gets to crank that up to a three. And then the next time, he gets to crank it up to a four so that the thoughts that you're having coming from the kingdom of darkness become increasingly more predominant. You ever hear or read about someone talk about hearing voices? You could do that if you wanted. Just listen to the devil, the demons, and do what they say. Because pretty soon you'll be hearing voices. They will be so loud in your head because you have done what they've said over and over. And the rule is every time you do, they gain a little bit more influence, a little bit more influence, a little bit more influence in your life. Uh, he is given the title of Father of Lies. Biggest tool he has is he talks to us. How did he deceive Eve? Did he hit her with a stick? Put a ring in her nose? Turn it into a frog? No, he just talked to her. And she believed him. How did the devil tempt Jesus? He just talked to him. How does he tempt you? He talks to you. The problem is, is that we don't recognize where that thought is coming from. And therefore, we don't resist it. Uh, and often we will do it and believe it. 13, being naive about the seriousness of the spiritual battle raging around us is the biggest barrier there is to Christians becoming strong, wise overcomers. So the men's breakfast, ladies, you can't come, but men's breakfast, Steve's going to be talking, and the title of his talk is uh, Stupid Thinking. Uh, we are the product of our thoughts. What we think about predominantly is what we do, is how we act. And so if the devil's going to control you, he wants to get control of your thoughts. It's all about controlling our thoughts. And so I'm going to control my thoughts. And uh, so we talk about addictions. We tend to think that addiction is simply that coffee. I'm addicted to coffee. That porn, I'm addicted to porn. That alcohol, I'm addicted to alcohol. There's a whole lot more involved in just simply the substance and the physical body it's the war going on between satan his demons and us for control of our thinking and what they say and what they say and what they say and what they say and as we act in obedience or following what they say now the volume cranks up a little bit and so what they say becomes more dominant in our thinking you ever have this experience you're having an argument with your wife and a thought pops into your head and you say it and uh, after you say it, you think, hmm, I shouldn't have said that. Did I win because of that statement that sounded so cool when it popped into my head? No. I didn't win, not at all. I created an increased problem because of those words. That's, but when it popped into my head in the midst of the emotion, uh, I just said it because it was there and it sounded cool at the moment uh, I say things I ought not to say when I'm in discussions with people because thought pops into my head and at the time it sounds like wow that's cool I mean it's just like uh, you just say it right and as soon as it's out of my mouth I think oh that was stupid um 
devil knows when to pop those things into our head. And he talks to us. And uh, the worst time is when I'm emotional because I don't think well when I'm emotional. I don't evaluate that thought. I just, uh, uh-oh, too late now. And so we are naive about that whole thing and we become addicted, uh, we get bitter, we get angry, we do all kinds of things we wish we hadn't done because of those thoughts that pop into our head. 14, the war is a sin war. The devil and his angels are working overtime to try and get us to sin and to live in sin and to be comfortable with sin and to have the power of sin overcome and destroy our life. Easy there to fill those blanks in. Short word too, S-I-N, S-I-N, S-I-N. It's a sin problem. He wants us to sin. He controls our life. We become addicted to sin. So, I like to fight and I like to win. And so I don't like the thought of a demon putting a thought in my mind and me saying it and then him gaining more control over my life because I did. I don't like that. So I want to win. I'm going to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm not going to do what he suggests that I do. I'm going to resist him strong in my faith. And the promise of the word of God is that he will flee from me when I do that. Romans 7, 14, for we know that the law, let me see, 15, I'm going to run out of time here, so you all know that I'm not going to finish. We fight this sin battle on three fronts. Three fronts. You know, one of my movies I enjoyed watching here recently was John Wick. They got John Wick 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, 8. I don't know how many they have. Anyway, John Wick. You ever notice what the best time John Wick is when there's somebody here, there's somebody here, there's somebody here, there's somebody here. He's surrounded with people and he kills them all. Ah, my kind of guy, huh? And so that's the kind of war we're in. We're surrounded not only by demons but by other things as well. First is our own flesh. We live in this thing that it's tough to live in. Romans 7:14. we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin, sold into bondage to sin. What I'm doing, I do not understand. I'm not practicing what I'd like to do. I'm doing the very thing I hate. If I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So no, no longer am I the one, the real me, doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. It's kind of like COVID. You know, it's in you. It makes you do things you don't want to do. Cough, wheeze, snap. You can't, you know, uh, darn COVID. Uh, that's my sin nature in me. The willing is present, but the doing of the good is not. The good that I want, I do not do. I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Find in the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. 16, the second front in our world, is, uh, in our battle against sin, is the temptation that comes from the world around us. The world around us. And the stuff that's in it. <clears throat> Worldliness is spiritual idolatry. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away in its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. 17, the third front in our battle against sin is the temptation that comes from the kingdom of darkness, the devil and his demons. Now they use our sin nature and the world to full advantage. They use it full advantage in our life as they tempt us and deceive us. Eighteen, the primary battlefield is for the control of our minds. I went to a car dealer and uh, I had my mind made up when I walked in the door how much I was going to spend and what I was going to spend it on. I had it all strategized out. And when I walked out, I had bought purchase something that I had not planned to purchase I had spent more money than I planned to spend and as I walked out and I thought about what I just did I thought Duke you are a total fool why did you do that you dummy and I walked back in after I walked out and came to my senses as the Bible says and I said I changed my mind and the salesman was not happy with me uh, and I can do that. I said, I changed my mind. And he says, why? I said, because I don't want you to win. I walked out of here defeated, beaten by you. I didn't say it quite like that. Uh, I tried to be nice and gracious, but I basically communicated, you talked me into something I really didn't want to do. And so now I thought about it, and I, I'm going to change my mind. Sorry, didn't mean to ruin your day, but that's just the way it is. Um, 19, the primary strategy of the kingdom of darkness is to talk to us constantly and we hear them in our thoughts. Do you mean, do you know how many times I have missed a day of Bible reading because of a thought? Man, you've had a full day and you're really tired and you can make up for it tomorrow. And yeah, I have had a full day. And I am really tired, and I can't make up for it tomorrow. I think I'll check the football scores out instead. Where'd that come from? Now, what I could do is when that thought popped in my head, say, okay, you ugly old demon, get out of here. I'm not falling for that trick. Hey, you think I am stupid? So, five days of prayer? Oh, let's not be a fanatic. Pastor D will take care of it. Uh, you know, you just have those thoughts. And we follow them because we don't realize what the source is. Now, if we could see the little red critter, we wouldn't fall for it. But we don't identify the source, and so we begin acting on our thoughts. Matthew 4, 8, look, again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, he said to him, he said to him, that's all he did, he spoke. All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Number 20, again, the primary advantage that these demons have over us is that we can't see them so that we don't identify the source of many of the thoughts that pop into our minds. So I've identified the wrong thoughts 
and I've got them into eight categories of thinking. There's prideful thoughts. That's a thought that I have about you and that I'm better than you are, better looking for sure, and or whatever else we might be competing in. Uh, or it might be a bitter thought. They're oh, really good on that. Uh, you remember somebody said to me, I can't forget what my wife did. I said, that's because you have someone helping you and you're letting him do it. Um, they're going to make you have bitter as much as they can because that will destroy your life. Number 21, the devil knows all about our sin nature, the pull of the world, and he uses them to full advantage in his attempts to get us to sin and fall away from God. He knows that we have a sin nature. He knows that we'd love to have a bigger boat. He knows that we'd like to make more money. He knows all that stuff, so he's all the time talking to us to get us to love the world and to act contrary to the will of God. 22, what we hear from demons as they talk to us are lies. Their goal is to get us to be deceived, to live our lives based on principles that aren't true. Somebody said to me the other day, I've decided that debt is okay. Really? Get that out of the Bible, did you? Second <laughs> uh, Corinthians 11.3, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived, deceived, deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray. Your minds will be led astray. John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar, the father of lies. 1 John 3, 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you. Make sure no one deceives you. 1 John 4, 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God because they're... There are many false prophets have gone out into the world. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising, that it, uh, surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. John 13, 2, during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus, he put into the heart of Judas Iscariot. How did he do that? You get a hypodermic needle? No, little step, little step. You know how it started? He wanted a little bit more money, so he was the collector of the box of money that people would donate for Jesus and disciples to live in, he'd snitch a little bit, then a little bit more, a little bit more. It's a journey. And then pretty soon the old devil had his volume maxed out. And he put it into his heart. He simply told him, said to him, but it was so strong he could hardly resist it. First Chronicles 21.1, then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Satan moved David. How did he do that? Just talk to him. 70,000 people died because of the choice that David made. Moved by the devil. 23, when we are deceived, we are convinced that what we believe is true. You know, I've 
talk to so many people who think Chevys are better than Fords. I, they're believing a lie right straight out of the pit of hell. <laughs> 24, it's kind of funny that one of the major deceptions that people believe is that they are beyond being deceived. <laughs> Isn't that a funny one? They actually believe that they can't be deceived when they're totally deceived. 25, there are many lies about sin, forgiveness, grace that the devil has gotten people in the church to believe and to, and to teach. There are everywhere all these lies uh, that supposedly come right out of the Bible. And you hear them all the time. 26, you can't become a Christian unless you first stop sinning. You know how many times I've had people tell me that one? Where'd that come from? 27, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I agree. If you're going to earn it. 28, if you want to be a Christian, then you must go to church. And if you sin, we all do, you can make up for it by doing something like penance. Whole denominations built on that lie. You can pay for your own sin by doing penance. 30, we can't conquer sin, we can't become sinless, we can't ever really become holy and righteous in our behavior, so why try? Why try? It's inevitable. I'm going to sin. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to say things I shouldn't. I'm going to get angry. So let's just go with the flow, as it were, and accept God's forgiveness. 31, we are saved by grace. No good works required, so good works don't matter. I've heard that one a lot. Thirty-two, salvation is free. We are accepted in Christ as we are. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So relax. Quit trying so hard to, be, to stop sinning. So you take what is true, the devil does, and he turns it just to skosh. A lot of truth and a little lie. And it moves and it moves and it moves and it keeps moving. 33, growing is easy. If you try too hard to be holy, you'll mess it up. So quit trying so hard. 34, did you know that there used to be a warning on the internet about me? And in fact, if you put my name in Google, up would come up this full screen in red. Beware of false teacher D. Duke. And so this next one is what I was accused of. Those who emphasize striving after holiness and pursuing righteousness are encouraging legalism. That was, you know, a little nerve-wracking. I'd advertise for my seminar, and the pastor would call, you know, I didn't know, know you, so I thought I'd Google your name, and this came up. I said, oh, yeah, I'm famous, aren't I? Uh, red letters. Beware of D. Duke, he's a false teacher. 35, you can, tr you can do it, just try it a little harder. So here's the truth. 
36, the truth of the Bible is that pursuing holiness, righteousness, and good works is part of our salvation. It isn't our salvation, but it is definitely part. And so the mistake that we believe from the devil is that it's an addendum or it's a prefix. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that, so no one should boast. That's verse 9. And then verse 10 rarely gets quoted after that. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Prepared for good works. We were saved for that. 1 John 3, 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you, deceives you, deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. I'm not saying that you become sinless or perfect. We'll talk about that next week. But it does have a promise involved. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. In your striving against sin. Hebrews 2.1, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. 1 Timothy 6.11, flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight. Of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Timothy 2.21, flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. And I could read 1 Peter 3, 8, Hebrews 6, 1, James 2, 17 through 20, 37. The truth of the Bible is that winning the war against sin is not a matter of our own strength or effort. It's a matter of learning how to walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> and so the devil wants to either get us over here or over here, not here. I need to conquer sin, and I can, by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I've got some verses for that, but I'm not going to read them. You know what they are. Uh, I'll just read one. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness most gladly. Therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So we're in a war, and we can win. Easy. But you've got to know the schemes of the devil and how to fight in war against it and uh, stomp him. Paul says, you will stomp Satan under your feet. 
you the church. We can do that. So come back next week. We'll talk about how to pull that one off. Thanks for coming. Amen. Bless you.